0: Okay, we're going to turn to God's Word to Ephesians. We've been looking through Ephesians and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. I'm going to read from verse 11. You'll find on page 1173, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, in, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And then these words, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who has a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the praise of His glory. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, actually this might be a situation just now for you, where you're looking around and you're thinking, I don't belong here. Uh, I've always wondered what it's, I mean, I've been in the church so long now, I've always wondered what it must be like for someone to come into the church who's never been in church before, and you come in and it is not what you expect, and you're sitting there. Um, I remember one young man told me, well, uh, he was actually, at that time, he worked for my sister, and she was getting baptized at her baptism. He came in, it was Roskeen Free Church, and there was pews at the back, and the place was packed, and he was sitting in the middle of the pews at the back. And when I started to speak, he got so angry. He said, I don't belong here. I want out of here. Unfortunately, one good thing about pews is you can't get out unless you make everyone move, and he couldn't, and he was just... Anyway... Thank the Lord he became a Christian and uh, they got married and living happily ever after. But sometimes when we… I wonder how we feel when we're in a a church like here. Sometimes you can be a Christian and feel that you don't belong, and it's a horrible feeling. Sometimes we struggle with lots of different things as well, and we, we feel excluded. This week, I got uh, another rejection from a trust we'd applied to for funding, and what they, said to, what they said in the letter was, our criteria is social inclusion and not the promotion of religion. But the thought that went through my head was, but what if Christianity helps bring around social inclusion? It doesn't always do so. I was in the United States last week, and I heard of a church Conservative evangelical church that began a work amongst Mexican uh, workers who were working in a local chicken factory, 3,000 of them, and the work began to go well. And lo and behold, Mexicans started coming to the church. And the people in the church said, No, we don't want this. Let's start up a separate Hispanic speaking or um, Spanish speaking church. Absolutely horrendous attitude. Sometimes it can be like that in, the, in a church. You can say, well, they're not people like us, as though we say to God, well, you've got to… these, these are the people we want uh, for you to bring into our church. One of the main criteria of the Christian church is that many different people are brought in. I think it is horrible to feel excluded and to feel that you do not belong. And can I say right at the very beginning that if that is your feeling in the church here… Um, please feel free to mention it to me and we can talk about it because your feeling may be correct, your feeling may be wrong, but we certainly need to find out what the difficulty is. We all long to belong. Uh, I hate it when you're kind of shut out. I was a number of years ago, a man came to me in the church here and said, David, um, I'd like to join the church." But I don't believe in Jesus. I said, "Okay, that's kind of a big deal for this church." You know, we we kind of—that's one of the main things. And his face fell. And I said, "Why do you want to join?" He says, "Ah, he says I love the church, love coming to services, love finding out about God." He says, "But I don't believe," and I'm just wanting to find out more. And I said to him, "Well, I've got really, really good news for you." He says, "What's the good news?" I says, "We wouldn't let you join." He what? I said, "I thought you wanted me to join." No, no. I said, "If you come and ask to join, you're not joining." And he looked, and what's wrong with me? I said, "There's nothing wrong with you. It's just to to belong to the church, you're expressing a faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the good news: you're welcome to come along, and all the things that you like, you're welcome to come along right now and still participate in that and learn more. But you can never be part of what we call the body of Christ until you come to know who Jesus Christ is. And at that, actually, he was particularly he was delighted that he could come, and we weren't expecting him to join." But I think whatever way we look at this, and I want to look at these, these verses in this, this incredible phrase, you also were included in Christ. Because Paul is writing to a church in Turkey, Ephesus, where there was considerable division. There was a the racial division between Jews and Greeks and Romans. There was an incredible social division and political division and that division was often reflected within the church. And this great letter that Paul writes, he talks about, and we'll come on to it in chapter 2, about how the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And what he's saying to the Ephesians is this. He's talking about how God has this marvelous plan, how God saves people, how God works in people, and then he says to them specifically, he says, "'You too, you also were included in Christ.'" Now, I think it is very, very important for those of us who are Christians to know that we belong to Christ. How do we know? And how can we pray if we don't know whether God loves us or hates us? We need to be fully assured that God is our Father and we are His children. It's one of the, as I say, one of those most horrible feelings if you're in a relationship with someone but you're not sure whether they love you or not. It's one of the most horrible feelings if you feel that you're entirely on your own and that nobody loves you. And it's a pretty horrible feeling too when you hear an awful lot about God and you hear an awful lot about Jesus, but you yourself have no assurance that Christ loves you, that God is your father, and so on. So we're going to look at this and... There's the verses up there. Sorry, I should have put them up earlier. And we're going to just see how this happens, what this verse tells us. So please, if you've got Bibles, keep them open at this verse because it's quite specific. And uh, I wanted to just take a a wee bit of time looking into it. First of all, let me just simply ask, how do we know? How do we know that we belong? How, How do we know that we're included in Christ? Well, Paul gives us two answers. One is, you hear the word of truth, and the other is, you believe. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. There are different kinds of hearing. We can be deaf. I mean, I'm talking right now, and uh, it could just be going in in one ear and out the other. You're thinking about 101 different things, and a lot of us have been there. It's incredible, isn't it, that you're wide awake, You come in here. You've not had the advantage I've got, which is I got a caffeine shot before I came up here, so that helps. You get caffeine shots afterwards. You should probably have them before, just a double espresso if it's going to be a long sermon, just to keep you awake. Well, we find ourselves that it it can be really, really difficult. We really sometimes struggle. we're, We're not hearing, or sometimes we're hearing words but we're not hearing what God is saying to us because there are 101 other things in our minds. And that's why it's actually a really good thing that we pray to God that he would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, that we would actually hear what he's got to say to us. Here, when Paul talks about you heard the word of truth, it carries this idea not just of being exposed to the word, but submitting to it. It finally gets through— It's something that connects with you. I think that's so important in church, that when we're hearing God's Word, it's not just rolling over, rolling over, rolling over religious ritual, but it is God speaking to us, and it just, it gets through, it connects, it clicks, we're conscious of God speaking to us. And we are included when we hear and believe The word of truth. Now, again, you'll notice the phrase word of truth. A lot of people have a great deal of difficulty with truth and the concept of absolute truth. But if there is no absolute truth, then we are all in real trouble. Most people reduce religion to how they personally feel or ritual and so on. John Gray, the philosopher, was on radio this morning uh, giving a talk and it's a talk that is endorsed by so many religious people which basically says it doesn't matter what's true it matters what you do and it matters what you feel. But that itself is either true or it's not and I don't think it is true. It does matter what is true. I don't want my assurance of Jesus Christ to be dependent on how I feel any particular day or in any particular church. I want my faith in Jesus Christ to be dependent upon God and upon what God has said, not what I feel or not what a particular church says or does. God has ordained that it's through the preaching of the Word that we come to a living and saving faith in Christ. That's the means that God uses to save people. Peter says we are born again by the living and enduring Word of God we hear the truth about Jesus, we believe it to be true, we depend upon it, we place all our weight and trust upon it. And if we don't have that, then all we've got left is feeling. Um, it's an old song, but Boston had a great song, More Than a Feeling, and i uh, break into air guitar and sing it for you if I, if I could right now, but I won't but that you've got to grasp that Christianity is more than a feeling. That's why some of you are here and you're Christians and you're feeling pretty discouraged and pretty depressed. That doesn't change one iota the truth of the gospel or the truth of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, some of you are here and you're feeling really bouncy and really happy. That doesn't make the gospel true. It doesn't change one iota the truth of the gospel or of Jesus Christ. We hear the truth of Jesus. And that's a sign that we are included. We hear that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We believe it and act upon it. We hear that Jesus died for us. We believe it and act upon it. We hear that He rose from the dead and that He offers eternal life to all who receive Him. We believe it and act upon it. If we hear those words but we don't act upon it, we are not really hearing in the sense that the Bible speaks of hearing. And that's why as Christians, we need to continually value the word of truth, the good news. But then the problem becomes, how do we know? How do we know what truth is? How do we know that we will continue? How do we know everything that's involved in that? How do we know that the Bible is the truth? And it becomes a kind of circular argument, isn't it? People say, well, we know that the Bible is the truth because the Bible says it's the truth. But that's a circular argument, and it's a very difficult argument. And the answer I would give to this comes out of um, our church's confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and uh, I don't often quote it, but I think this is absolutely brilliant. It says, as regards how we know whether the Bible is true, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. In other words, it's not irrelevant that many millions of people that the church throughout the ages has acknowledged the Scriptures. Second reason, and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only ways of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. So, the fact that it works the fact that it's so profound, the fact that it's majestic, uh, all these different things, they're all logical, reasonable arguments that you can put to say, this is the Word of God. I have studied the Bible personally for over 30 years, and I would say this without a shadow of a doubt. As a man came in here yesterday, and he asked me about this. Did I accept the Bible? And the answer is, absolutely. I'm not hiding things. I'm not being dishonest. I'm, I'm, I'm not Kind of being this narrow minded fundamentalist who, who doesn't see all the different things that are going on. And the more I get to know the Bible, the more it is utterly astounding how different it is from every single book that has ever been written and how wonderful the scripture is. And I can logically present the arguments and I can give you all the case for it, or at least a, a fair bit of it. But, look what it says. Yet notwithstanding, Our full full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. In other words, it's saying what the Bible itself says, that the Bible itself is not enough. That you can read the Bible, you can hear the Bible, you can memorize the whole Bible. Without the Holy Spirit working in your life, it means nothing. You delude yourself. There are Christians who say, well, we're really into the Holy Spirit, and there are other Christians who say we're really into the Word, and then there are biblical Christians who say, wait a minute, who gave you the right to divide the two? The Holy Spirit inspires the Word, but it just, hasn't just inspired the Word in the past. The Holy Spirit applies the Word today. So I know that every single thing that I say today will just bounce off brick walls, unless the Holy Spirit takes His Word and applies it. And that's why Paul goes on. He says, you were included in Christ. How were you included? You heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, the good news of salvation. You believed. And having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, <coughs> marked with a seal, how does that work? The Holy Spirit convinces us and convicts us, and then the Holy Spirit also just Embeds within us this assurance that, as we believe in Jesus Christ, that we really are in him, we really do belong to him. This idea of the seal it 's a very strong idea in the Bible in the Old Testament'll give you an example there of Ezekiel nine verse three The glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing kit at his sighed and said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. God puts a mark upon his people. There is a seal. Those of us who are from an agricultural background will recognize this. One of my least favorite jobs I ever had to do on the farm was to brand uh, cattle And it looked really horrible. Actually, it wasn't my least favorite job. It was a kind of sadistic thing in me. But I'd get my friends who came from the city or the town, and I would take them, and I'd say, come and watch this. We're going to brand some cattle, and they'd only heard about that in Westerns. Um, And you would put this this piece of metal, this brand, into a blazing hot fire, and you'd bring it out, and then you'd stamp it on the back of the calf or the cow, and the burnings, the smell of the rotting flesh and everything, and the, oh, oh, this is horrible. How could you do that? You're so cruel. Um, but they've got thick skin. That's why it's called leather. You know, they really, you, you, you know what you're doing, but you brand them. You put a mark on it, and it really, that really is the case. We, sheep, we used to, or pigs, we used to put tags on, and put, you'd put a certain kind of tag. Now they do, Um, electronic tagging. But there was a mark, and the mark was that you belonged. You went off uh, astray. You're You're a cow, and you disappeared, and somebody would see, and they would look for the branding, and they would take you back. Each farm had its own unique branding. I guess the urban equivalent of that now is if you've got a bike, and you take your bike to the police so that they can put a mark on it so that if it's stolen, they know who it is. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing here, that God is putting his mark on his people. The seal was an indelible mark. It was often, um, we we looked at rings earlier, it was like a a king's signet ring marked with a wax impression. So when the king um, wrote a, a letter and it was sealed, there'd be wax put on it, and then the king's seal, the only seal that existed, would be put on it. God seals and guarantees. Because here's one of the problems that we face. You decide to become a Christian, and I hear this very often. People say, okay, I'm going to become a Christian, but what if I can't keep it up? What if can a Christian lose their faith? The answer to that is yes, if it was left up to us, but no, if we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. How can God lose his own people? We read in Isaiah 49, you know, can a mother forget her child? Yes, a mother can forget her child. In extreme circumstances that can happen. But God says, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. It is the Spirit who opens our hearts and minds so that we believe, and it's the same Spirit who seals us. It is the promise of Joel chapter two I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now when when do we receive this? When do we get this? Having believed, it's difficult to understand you know does this mean that you believe and then you receive the holy spirit but paul says in corinthians if you don't have the spirit of christ you're none of his sorry in romans 8 and verse 9 if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not not belong to christ you never come to believe without the spirit so what is it saying it's just saying that as you believe in jesus there is that seal of the holy spirit put upon you where god says that person That man, that woman, that boy, that girl is mine. And what it means is incredible. If we go through Ephesians just very briefly, I've I've put them up there for you, but just these are where it's all indicated what it means to be sealed with the Spirit. Uh, Verse 17, you get wisdom and revelation. God may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better. God doesn't just open our eyes when we become Christians. He continues to open our eyes That's again why it's so important that we pray that God would open our eyes so that we we, we would see wonderful things of of Jesus. That's why Paul says, I want to know Christ. He doesn't just say, I knew him in the past. He's saying, I want to know him more. And that's what you and I, we've got to do. We've got to say, Lord, I want to know you so much better. And the Spirit does that. Chapter 3, verse 16 says that we are strengthened with power. By the Holy Spirit. He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Chapter 2 and verse 18, we get access to the Father by one Spirit. Verse 22, and in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. God's Spirit is present in the believer. God's Spirit is present in the church. In chapter 3 and verse 16, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, it's an incredible thing to talk about Christ being in your hearts. You know, when Joseph was telling me that God was invisible, and he was here, but we couldn't see him, and then he started looking around for him. It's quite funny. Some of the children a few years ago, I heard them having a discussion about why they weren't allowed in the balcony, and the reason was because God lives in the balcony, so, <laughs> that was, which I thought was kind of neat, but really bad theology, so I blamed the parents for that, um, not the church. But, you know, the notion of God, where's God? God God in the balcony. Well, God is present by His Spirit. And that's, what does that mean? How do we understand that? How do we grasp that? You talk about Jesus living in your heart. What does that mean? I remember as a child thinking, there must be a wee door in my heart that this wee man jumps in. And, you know, what does that mean? Let Jesus into your heart. How? I don't know how to open the door. Is there a door? What, you know, there's all different kinds of things involved. And all it's just simply saying is that Christ dwells in your hearts. He is so close to us that supposing he were physically present, it wouldn't be as good as having him dwell with us by his Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, it's the beginning of cosmic reconciliation. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And it just goes on in chapter 6 and verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. All of these things are absolutely essential to Christian living, and they all come from the Spirit within. We don't believe in two-tier Christianity here. We don't believe that there are some Christians who have the Spirit, and there are others who don't. All believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we We need to grasp that. We need to realize we are in. We are included in Christ. We don't have to make our way in. Another great thing about this is that uh, the Spirit is a deposit. It's just a deposit. The Greek word, which nowadays means engagement ring, but then meant a deposit. An engagement ring promises marriage, but it's not itself part of the marriage. Why are engagement rings more expensive than wedding rings, usually? Wedding rings are just, you know, simple gold. Engagement rings are kind of flashy diamond or whatever. Um, you know, I was going to say, unless you do what somebody I knew did, which was a pulled the thing off a Coke tin and put it on. That wasn't very romantic, I didn't think. But even Argos rings are, you know, kind of, the engagement ring is flashier. It's, it's kind of saying, I promise. It's a promise. But I think the wedding ring is simpler because it's saying, well, you've got it you don't need the, the, the flashy ring. It's just saying, you've, you've got it. And I think that when we think about it in that way, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit we receive now is just a foretaste of what is to, to come. You're buying a house, or, um, and you put down a deposit for the house. That's just the beginning. That's the pledge. That's the guarantee. But there's so much more that is to come. Chapter 4, verse 30 says, we are sealed until the day of redemption. There's so much to look forward to. Second Corinthians 5, 22, it's God who made us for this very purpose and God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Romans 8, verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know what happens with some of us as Christians? What we do is this. We become Christians. It feels great. We spend the rest of our Christian lives remembering the feeling we had when we became Christians, trying to get back to it. And God says, you're looking the wrong way. You're looking the wrong way. That's only a deposit. That's only the beginning. There is so much more. The Spirit is the beginning of eternal life within us. He guarantees our inheritance, and we are His possession. First Peter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance, and look at these words, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If you are a Christian, you have this tremendous inheritance that can never be lost. Any other kind of inheritance that anyone has can perish and can be lost. God the Spirit is the seal of that. It's an expensive seal. For God to send the Holy Spirit cost Him a tremendous amount. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It should help us realize how valued we are. It's a security. What's being referred to here are the Gentiles in Ephesus. You too were included. But the term that's used, guaranteeing our redemption until the, the, sorry, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. That was used of the Old Testament Jews, and what God is saying to the Jewish believers is, they're in as well. The Gentile believers are in as well. It's like why that church that I was mentioning, uh, which wouldn't let the Hispanic workers in, they got their theology completely wrong. In fact, it was completely blasphemous, because what the Holy Spirit says, you're included as well. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your culture, If you belong to Christ, you belong to us. We belong together. Isaiah 43, 20, my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. You might ask, what's your purpose? Your purpose is simply this. God formed you to declare his praise. And you might say, but I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm not special. Actually, you are. You are because God has formed you. And you'll note the reasoning behind all of that. It's for the praise of His glory. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. We we can almost read this, and if it wasn't for that last phrase, we could say, well, it's great because it's all about us. And God says, actually, no, I've saved you and I've called you because it's about my glory. It is God-centered. And that is so much what is best for us. When you hear from God's Word, when you hear from, from the pulpit, if you like, someone saying, don't live for yourself, live for God, you might feel it's kind of like, well, I, that's me just on another guilt trip. That's not what it's intended to be. It's actually intended to liberate you completely. When you realize it's not all about you, it takes the pressure off enormously glory is related to the word for to seem or to think. What people think about a person becomes that person's reputation. And what we're being told here is we can live so as to enhance God's reputation. We cannot enhance what God is, but we can enhance His glory. And that's why I put up the quote from Leefield there who says this, the reality that we are God's possession, His inheritance, can have a powerful impact on our daily lives. It can deliver us from an overemphasis on how much we receive from God and cause us to realize humbly that we belong to Him. What that could do is that can make, If you don't get it, if you misunderstand it, it could make you smug and arrogant. Or it can make you sober and happy. We invest ourselves wisely for the glory of God. So the message is, is, is so straightforward. Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you're in, you belong And so I want to apply it in two ways. I want to apply to those of you who are not yet Christians. And please take this seriously. You're not in. You are outside, and you are in danger of ending up in the great outer darkness, but you are invited in. Look at these words from Revelation. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star." The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You see, you've got a choice. It's outside or it's inside. It's like it's a really cold winter's night or Scottish summer, whatever. <laughs> it's, you know, like, to, like this week was ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, just I cycled home. I got soaking wet. It was driving rain. It's not even November. And, you know, it's like you're, you're standing and you're cold and you're miserable and you look in the window and someone's got the fire on and you can see they've got, you know, a nice dram there and just to warm you up and they've, they've, they've got music playing. They've got just, uh, th- there's people inside who are laughing and who are happy and it's so warm inside. They're in the pajamas and you're outside and you're perishing and you're freezing and you think, if only I could be in and the door opens and says, come on, come in. And you go, nah, not really. No thanks. I don't want it. I'm not in. How does that make sense? Why would we choose to be outside? You, it's like a fantastic wedding feast, a great wedding feast. I did a wedding yesterday, and, uh, you know, you see people and imagine people are watching and seeing this sumptuous feast. And the bride and the groom come around and say, actually, half our relatives haven't turned up. Come on in, folks. Come in and share in the meal. Why? What? Whoa. That's outside. Why would you want to be outside? I say, and I, I appeal to those of you who are not yet believers, you are invited in. The door is open. There is far more inside than you can possibly ever Imagine you too can be in Christ. It's not like joining an exclusive club. It's not like saying, well, you can come if you become like us, and if you do all the things that we do and say the same things. No, it's an open invitation from Jesus Christ. If you're thirsty, come. If you're cold and you want to be warm, if you're lonely, if you're hungry, if you, if you want to be fully human, then you come to Christ. I know this from the Scriptures. There are many things we do not know, but I know this without a shadow of a doubt. There isn't a single person here who, if they honestly prayed this morning, Lord, please, I want to come, that God would not be working in your life and that God would refuse. Jesus never refuses anyone who comes to him, but you must come. The message this morning is not, it doesn't matter what you believe, you're in. There are people who are universalists who say, it doesn't matter what anyone believes, they're all in. Whatever anyone does, they're all in. No, it's in Christ. You were included in Christ. You also were included in Christ when you heard, when you responded to the word of truth, when you believed, when you were marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And let me say this to those of us who are believers this is the message. And please, it's so important you grasp this. You are in, you belong to Christ. Why then are you so burdened? Where's all your joy gone, says Paul? Where's it gone? Love and service and so on. Every time you hear something from the Bible, something from this pulpit, something from this church about serving, you're going to be loaded with guilt because you're thinking, oh, here I have to go again. I've got to try and earn my way. And you don't have to earn your way. You're in. But when you're in, surely... You want to respond with love. You want to serve. Part of being in is sharing and fellowshiping and working together. You care for the rest of the body. You live for the glory of God, and you work to invite others in. Surely you're not one of those Christians who says, well, I think it's really unfair that God has some people and not others. And God says, yeah, what are you doing? What, why are you not inviting people? we need to let people see that being in Christ is such a wonderful, life-transforming thing that they'll, they'll say, well, wait a minute, I want some of that. Where'd you get that? How did you find that? It's like my friend at the beginning who said, I want to belong to the church. Why do you want to belong? And he listed things that he wanted to belong. And I said, do you know where that, all that comes from? It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our organization. It comes solely from Jesus Christ. We're in. We're not waiting to get in. We're not in a queue like standing outside a club with the bouncer standing there, and we're wondering if we're dressed right and if we're going to get in. We're in. We belong. We're part of Christ's kingdom. We've got the Holy Spirit. Let's not quench Him, and let's live for the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You that those of us who believe and trust in You that we too are included, because we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. We believed it, and you've marked us with your seal, the promised Holy Spirit, that he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of all who are your possession, to the praise of your glory. Thank you for that. And thank you, O Lord, that now is the day of salvation, that the door is not closed, that the door is open, and that everyone here, and everyone whom we see, and everyone in our families and friends, and everyone in this city and country, we can invite to come in. Lord, I pray for those of us here who do not know you, that we would lift up our eyes, and we would see your glory, and we would say, O oh Lord, I come. Please receive me. With all my sin, with all my problems, with all my weakness, with all my joys and strengths, with all these things, just as I am, O Lord, please receive me. We ask that you would do this for your glory. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLUS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solus-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.